I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Deconstructive Criticism. I'm Aaron Flam, and today I have a special treat for you. My good friend and brilliantly tireless mind, Alexander Bard, will be talking a bit about biohacking. But first, a quick comment on the current government crisis in Sweden. I uh, guess my crush socialism project is going much better and faster than I had anticipated. Doesn't seem like the government will resign, but Prime Minister Levin has at least been forced to let two of his ministers go. Having to sacrifice Minister of Domestic Affairs, Anders Egeman must feel like losing a queen in chess to Stefan Levian. According to unconfirmed reports, Anders Egeman was seen doing cartwheels away from Parliament, screaming, free at last. Apparently, our social democratic government has given away what amounts to the keys to the kingdom to foreign powers. What has happened is not entirely clear, but it seems like our former head of the Department of Transportation decided to outsource the installment of a new IT system to IBM who then outsourced it to Serbia, who's a good friend of Russia, and so on and so forth. This is really bad since our Department of Transportation has information on every Swede, all our roads, air traffic and seafarers, both civilian and military. Worse than that, the head of the department knew she was doing something illegal. She said so herself in a written statement to her board of directors, who consequently did nothing, which means that a lot of people knew that this was illegal and a security risk, but ignored it. And symptomatically, this scoop wasn't handed to us by Swedish state television or state radio, mediums that every Swede are forced to pay for by law. Nor was it presented by our biggest dailies with close ties to the political power. No, this scoop came from new media, of course, Nyheter idag, or News Today as you would probably call it in English, an online news source that is basically a one-man operation which just goes to show how important it is for you, the listener, to support independent operations like my own or Nyheter Dog. So please support Aron Flam on Patreon. I've changed to my name because apparently a lot of people found it hard to spell the constructive criticism 
in Swedish. Or if you're Swedish you can always swish me at 0768-943737, 0768-943737. Anyway, this spring me and Alexander Bard was invited to give a talk at the first ever Stockholm Biohacker Summit. Since we're fans of biohacking, if not in practice, then definitely in theory, it was a pro bono gig. Even if the risk of snake oil is always higher in areas like these, this is also a field where the next innovation for the enhancement of our lives might come from, and more than that, it's crazy interesting in that order. The plan from the organizers was to arrange a talk on stage between me and Alexander, But as per usual with Alexander, when he's let loose, trying to say anything is basically just an interruption of his flow, which would be sacrilege. Five minutes into the would-be conversation, I was just praying he wouldn't address me like I was a kid in class who hadn't done his homework. So best that you just sit back, lube up your mind so much it could attend an orgy, and try to keep up. I did my best, but as usual, Alexander did much better. Enjoy. You guys, you are not only uh, music producers, cyber philosophers, great comedians, uh, you are also going to entertain us with a bit deeper conversation of what the future holds for us. Is that the correct? philosophy of the future? Fantastic. Yeah. So please uh, entertain us. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank you, guys. Make us laugh, clown. <laughs> Get started. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Quite. So, um, we were invited to speak here. Maybe we should place the chairs a bit more. I don't know. Can everyone see us? All right. Just like a good old TV show, right? Yeah. So, in case you don't know me, I'm Aaron Flam. I'm a comedian. And this guy you should probably know, uh, Alexander Bard. I'm not as brilliant as Jordan Peterson. But I'd like to be Scandinavian Jordan Peterson, kind of. You all love Jordan Peterson, right? You know about Jordan Peterson? Okay, you're with it. Good. He's great. He's brilliant. He's the Messiah. All right. So we're talking about Jordan Peterson today, apparently. (laughs) Uh, We're going to talk about transhumanism to begin with. Yes. And and, uh, I think as philosophers, um, we'd like to go to the etymology. We'd like to go to the depth of the word, where it started from, et cetera, et cetera. Transhumanism was not invented by nerds in America in the 1980s. The word transhumanism has a long history. I mean, the the striving to sort of go outside of of the human to be something superhuman or beyond human or whatever has a long, long history. But the unfortunate thing is that um, the real transhumanist in the original meaning of the word is our common favorite, Nietzsche. Yes. You've heard heard Nietzsche's Übermensch, right? Okay. It's a commonest translation to English that Übermensch is translated as Superman. Now, Superman is a comic strip figure from America, and he's terribly boring. Okay. He's not very exciting at all. So Nietzsche's talking about something radically different from Superman. Um, And and the the irony here is that if you know any, remotely any German, you would probably know the difference between Übermensch and Obermensch. And, and the mistranslation is often because people assume that he's talking about an Obermensch. An Obermensch would be somebody who's superior to other human beings. Okay, So this would be a superior being to us, or we would become something superior compared to what we are now, or basically superior to our dads and our moms. That's not what he means at all. 
uh, the word übermensch is rather somebody who's all over the place, who gets the world, who understands what's going on, has a wide understanding of the world. So Nietzsche's idea of the transhuman is in original meaning of the prefix trans, which is, which is Greek. And it means trans is like you, you're, you're beyond in the sense that you're behind and all over the place and you get the full picture. And, and, and this is something radically different from what most people mean, mean when they talk about transhumanism. Transhumanism, to me, if I'm sort of direct here and a bit straightforward, is something that nerds who watch too many Star Trek movies and dreamed about becoming Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, so they finally would get laid because they have too much acne, so they don't get laid. And this is what they dream of. And then they put lots of stuff on their bodies and think they're more interesting that way, and they end up not getting laid anyway. And then they get terribly disappointed and resentful, as Nietzsche had warned us. <laughs> so the world is going to be full of all these very resentful transhumanists. And I think, I think one thing he, I want to talk to you he about He wasn't here, too kind to liberated women either. Nietzsche is but, fierce. He's fierce. He's, yes. he, he's vile. But he also is the, he's, 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 he strips us of all our defenses and really exposes our nakedness. That's why if you can read, you should read Nietzsche. Always read Nietzsche. And I came into transhumanism as... I later learned it was called through, uh, well, Nietzsche in a sense, being uh, brought up a Jewish boy or uh, bombarded with Messiah myths, like uh, the story of the hero, so are most of us, and uh, that led me to the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and I, as a young boy, desperately wanted to know uh, what fruit the apple of the tree of knowledge was, And that, in turn, uh, led me all the way to Trickster, which is another mythological character who uh, always uh, somehow seems to imbibe something that changes his perception or her perception of the world. And uh, that's when I found LSD. <laughs> and that's why you're not a transhumanist in a traditional sense, because you actually get laid. I do get laid, You yes, look great, <laughs> and you're a comedian, and comedians make people laugh, and you make people laugh. You can be fat, and you can be ugly, and you can be old. But if you make people laugh, you get laid, okay? The, the real trauma of people, the one thing that newspapers and magazines will not write about that you cannot self-improve is a sense of humor. This is, the, this is the nasty secret about human beings, is that we all love people who make us laugh. They always get laid. But we cannot really accommodate people who don't have a sense of humor. So people who don't have a sense of humor, we turn them into neurotic designers or something at best. You know, We give them jobs they can have where you don't need a sense of humor. And, and then they get married to fashion models or something. They don't have a sense of humor either. So people who don't have a sense of humor marry people who don't have a sense of humor. And then they can sit and have boring dinners together. And, and, and hopefully that works for them because they can sleep with each other because they look great or something. But you know, if you have a sense of humor, you get laid. And you get laid. I and because get you get laid, you didn't have acne. You were cute little Jewish boy. I wa but I wasn't, being, I wasn't getting laid when I was a boy. But I can because, tell you got because, laid because be you spank girls in bed. And men uh, who spank yes. girls in bed get laid a lot. So they get well. bored with it. So they have to go more excited. And the only way to get more excited if you get laid all the time is to start spanking the girls. Are we going to talk about my sadomasochism now? Yes. Yes, we are. It's part of transhumanism, yeah. isn't it? Well, yeah. Well, there wasn't too many girls in the library when I was a child. So uh, I didn't get laid then. I got laid much later. After 25, I you think. You postponed it. Just like yeah. transhumanists postponed life. Yeah, I And did. And that's what I was going to bring Because up, the idea of immortality. Yeah. Because if you look at the idea of immortality historically, and people are going to the immortality myth and think of this as, a, I'm going to be the first generation ever in human history becomes immortal, you know? The only people who talk about it for some strange reason are people who don't have a life to begin with. Yeah. Right? It's like they constantly postpone their life. 
Yeah, but that's and that's kind of interesting concerning what I was saying about the tree of knowledge because there were two trees in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. The tree of knowledge and the tree of life. And when the humans had eaten from the apple and become self-aware, God says something, I'm paraphrasing God now, uh, <laughs> <laughs> something in the order of uh, they have reached consciousness and become as us. Let us uh, cast them out of the Garden of Eden so they don't eat from the tree of life and become immortal truly as us. So the only re- uh, real difference, according to the Bible, when it comes to us and God by now is immortality. Okay. And you know what? If you, if you would properly think through what immortality is, I don't mind survival. I don't mind living longer. You know, as long as, as, long as I'm potent and I'm curious about the world, I'd like to live longer. We all want to live longer. Survival is not the problem. But if you think of the idea of immortality, the reason why there isn't a single word about immortality in the Bible or the Quran is that if there was a story about immortality, it would have to expose how horrible it actually is. If you, if you would seriously, philosophically consider the idea that you would never die, everything in your life would become absolutely meaningless. Because everything has meaning precisely because there's an end to things. So you would, if you could, sooner or later kill yourself if you weren't immortal. The question is only you would like to control that, right? I'm fine with that part of transhumanism. I'm fine with the idea that we want to live longer, prolong our lives, and, and heighten the quality of life. That's perfectly okay. But I think we should be not naive about the idea that people who run around all the time and talk about themselves as the first generation of immortals, they probably don't have a life to begin with. They don't get laid, right? So that's something that's going to happen sometime in the future. It's like, if I can only prolong my life long enough, I will get laid. Well, you're not going to be more sexually attracted when you're 285 years old than you are now. That's very unlikely. So maybe it's better to do something about it now to begin with and have a life right here and now. That's Nietzsche, right? Yes, it is. And how long do you think you would be able to carry on being curious if you... Well, my dad is sort of demented now. He's 85. But right before he got demented, we could still like have a four or five hour conversation with me without forgetting it was me he was talking to. That would be like him when he was like 78, 79. Uh, he sort of told me there's a curse among men in my family. And the curse is that we still have a sex drive and still get demented and still keep the sex drive. <laughs> so it's like, it's like he cursed me and said that you will never need Viagra. That's the good news. But the problem is you'll still go out running around spending lots of time trying to find sex all the time when you're 79. It's like, oh my God, that's horrible. <laughs> so when you stop calling me by name and start trying to fuck me, I should call social Because services. I got nothing else to fuck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we well. finally go gay after all these years, right? Yes. No, um, no but I, I, I think the idea, I think that is interesting here because if, if you, for example, the previous speaker mentioned Silicon Valley here, and, and although it's inspiring and encouraging that so much creativity is going on in one place and, and Silicon Valley is now successfully also being copied in so many places around the world and all these new amazing technologies are coming out of there and these technologies are increasingly life technologies, they're enhancing our lives, etc. That's fine. But a lot of the projects going on in Silicon Valley are going on because people there have loads of money all of a sudden. They're very young. They don't have much life experience. They're not really well educated to begin with. They don't know history. And if you don't know history, you're not well educated. So they come up with these ideas that maybe we should spend billions of dollars going to Mars. And I'm like, well, you could start by going to Siberia. There's nobody in Siberia. It's a lot warmer and it's a lot closer. You know, if you want, if you want to be in a place full of radiation and really, really, really cold weather where you cannot breathe, well, you can start with Siberia. You can at least breathe in Siberia. You know, there's nobody there. So it's like they haven't even thought of what they're doing. And, and 
And, and a lot of these enhancements, I think we need to think of them critically. I guess that's why you and I are here today, because we're philosophers. So we need to, to have a critical reassessment of what we think is important in here. And, and uh, another aspect of that is that there's hyping. And I come from the music industry. I used to work in the music industry for 25 years, and we would hype things all the time. And hyping things means that we're saying, there's something brand new here. You need to check it out. Everybody comes running towards us. Oh, there's something brand new that we haven't experienced before. Then they must be incredibly important. Well, it only lasts as long as the novelty lasts. If you remember how we get adapted to new technologies, we think they're amazing at first, then they become everyday activities and then finally we get have problems with them then we go to see therapists and to try to deal with them it's like smartphone and laptop usage it just it just passed eight hours per day now in western europe and north america we spend over eight hours a day staring at screens and with vr around the corner is going to go more towards nine or ten or eleven hours per day or 12 hours per day we don't see it as an addiction because everybody's addicted so we don't problematize it's just like well it's like being an alcoholic when you're sitting in, you know, in the town park and everybody around you is drunk. Everybody's having a good time and everybody's drunk. So you're all getting drunk. You're all alcoholics, but you don't see yourself as alcoholics. It's only when you leave the park and you go to, to a liquor store and find a person of the opposite sex who you try to flirt with. And that person turns around and says, fuck off, you drunk. I don't want to see you. Go to a fucking treatment center. You, know? you realize you're an alcoholic. And it's the same thing. The internet is eating our lives. For good or bad, but it is. That's, that's an empirical fact. And to me, if transhumanism really was concerned with the immediate future and how it's radically different from the past, it would be concerned with how we interact with technologies and how, how everything is becoming much more interact, interactive in that sense. Because you think the individual is dying now. We're all yes. being dissolved into this cloud. Of- and this is, of course, the weak point with the Biohacker Summit, if I'm coming here and I'm being the devil's advocate, is that this idea, most of the ideas I see explored here, and I love the technology and I love the futurism of it and I love the optimism of it. I don't see any resentment here, which is rare in contemporary society. I hate people being resentful because that's the end of everything. So, but... The naivety here is that there's a certain worldview and a certain idea of what it means to be human that's actually inherited from 1637. And it starts in 1637. It's a religion called individualism. And individualism starts with an autistic guy. And I know a lot of you guys in here are autists, right? Me too. We're all on the Asperger spectrum. Admit it. Okay, so we love individualism because we like to think of ourselves as autonomous units that are separate from the rest of humanity, right? We don't like touching people too much, unless we have sex, right? So, so individualism was invented in 1637, basically through the world's most famous and widespread tweet ever. I think, therefore, I am. And this was a little French autist called René Descartes who said this. And, and René Descartes essentially meant, well, uh, he wanted to get rid of God... Because all metaphysics up to Descartes in 1637 started with God. From the very beginning when we created the first permanent settlements in Iraq, ironically, 5,000 years ago, um, the nomadic tribe could no longer just kill anybody who looked different from ourselves. When we lived in the nomadic tribe, we killed everybody outside of the tribe. If we met somebody looking for food, they're out there trying to find food somewhere. We met somebody who had a different little sign on their forehead than we did, speaking of these cyborg things, right? We'd kill them because it was just constant survival. And survival was finding food, and, then, and, and, and this was what we did. What we did when we then created permanent settlements is that we started producing food in huge amounts. So our kids started to survive. We had large families all of a sudden. We had a population explosion. And 
there was suddenly somebody thought, maybe it's not a good idea to kill people who are not from our tribe, because that meant, if you have a permanent settlement, you would either go up the river and kill everybody in the village there, or you go down the river and kill everybody in the village there, or they'd come and kill you everybody in your village, which is not a very good idea, right? You can have war sometime, that's okay, but not all the time. So if you don't want to have war all the time, you need to civilize yourself. And the way you would create civilization originally is that you take the two crazy guys, you take the Aaron and the Alexander in your tribe, and say, you're at the marginal things, you're crazy guys, if you can survive out there on your own, that's fine, but you're not allowed to stay in here with the rest of us, because you're manic, you're shamans, yeah? you take tons of drugs all the time, and you're weird. Okay. Shamans are weird, but they're needed, because when you, when you need a perspective that you cannot get from the inside, you need the outside perspective, that's when you hire people like Aaron and Alexander, they're comedians and they're philosophers, they're shamans. So you take the shamans out of the village, and you put them between the villages and say, uh, okay, this village has this story here about its own Ur-father and Ur-mother or whatever. And the other village has another story here. And if these two villages meet, they kill each other, just like Muslims and Christians kill each other as soon as they're in the same room. Because they have different stories. And if they have different stories, one of them has to go. So the shamans are basically told, well, since you actually socialize with people from other tribes and fuck with them and all those things, because shamans like people with different skin colors and different sexual orientations. That's part of our genes, our personality type, our archetype, is that we like people who are different from ourselves. We die all the time because of it, because we take risks that other people don't take. So you'd send the shamans off and say, why don't you go and meet somewhere in between the two villages and do something hocus pocus? So we'd go to and create the first ritual places in history permanent ritual places, where we build towers, you know, and these towers were towards the gods, the Urfathers of the different tribes. And the story we would then tell would be that instead of having one Urfather and that village, another Urfather and that village, we could actually connect the two by saying, it's all one of the same God. And then God is invented. And then God stays the beginning of all storytelling, all storytelling is always metaphysical, all storytelling up to Descartes starts with God. Because God unifies all human beings, thinking of ourselves as today 7 billion people who are all similar, all human beings. And what then happens when Descartes comes into the picture, Descartes isn't necessarily interested in killing God yet, because the Catholic Church is still quite powerful. They'd chop his head off if he did. Nietzsche did that 200 years later. But, you know, 1637, you don't, you, you, you want to have the Catholic Church more or less on your side, or at least out of the picture. But how, how, do, how do you get rid of, how do you get girls in the room? How do you get rid of a guy if you can't kill him? You put him to sleep. Put him to sleep. And how do you put God to sleep? You remove him from the picture. You said that, oh, okay, forget about God. He's perfect. He created everything. Newton was Descartes' best friend, by the way. Newton invented modern science based on the very same idea Descartes did. The atom or the individual is the same ideology. It's the beginning of a new metaphysics. And you know also that atomism is also incorrect, just like individualism. So, but it worked. So they said essentially the atom or the individual is the basic fun- function in society, the basic foundation. We have to build everything else, citizenry, everything else is built on this idea. So he creates individualism, but it is a religion. And, you know, even, even Descartes was asked, so where is this fucking individual? And he said, well, he's inside the gland, inside the brain. Very clever. This is 1637. There's no way you can cut off somebody's neck and you know, go through all the muscle and blood tissue and everything and finally get into that gland and keep the guy alive. By the time you get to the gland, he's dead. So if people want to believe that there's an individual in a gland inside the brain, they will. And everybody did. This, this religion won the world. And that's the religion most people have today, and you do too. But isn't that, uh, but that's interesting, because that means that you're, uh, 
Basically, what you're saying is we replaced God with man. And yeah. that's where we're at now. Yeah. yeah. And now man's dying. And the question is, what do we replace man with? Yes, and your suggestion is the swarm. Yes, the swarm. Uh, and the reason is, if you behave like an individual online, well, the typical individual online is a man. He's somewhere between 40 and 45 years old, and he thinks the internet is there for him. So he writes a weekly email called a newsletter. And this newsletter tells everybody what a little good boy he is. Look at all the amazing things I've done the past seven days. You know, girls, you all know what this guy's like. You get these newsletters from this guy all the time. So he writes this newsletter and says, these are all the amazing things I've done the last seven days. Like a little boy showing drawings all the time to his parents. Exactly like that. That's how men behave, okay? So, so he does that every week. And then at the end, there's this book and there's this record. By the way, I got my own book here, but not to promote it. So you can use it to wipe your asses if you like. But that's what they do. You show your book, you show your record, you show your product, and, and you're supposed to buy these things. And what do we do with this newsletter? We throw it in the spam box because we fucking hate it. That's what we do with individualism. If anybody else on this planet, any of the other 7 billion actors on this planet, show any sign of individualism, we kill them. Because we hate it. And with girls, you do Instagram, right? Girls do Instagram. 80% of Instagram accounts are female or supposedly female. Girls love to put pictures online. The problem with Instagram is that everybody uploads pictures all the time and nobody's watching them. Because everybody has a big ego. They're individualists. So they think that Instagram is for them. Now it's my turn. Now I'm going to be exposed. Now I'm, gonna, I'm ready for the stage. Look at me. You know? So... Women, mostly women, use Instagram to put all these pictures out there. Nobody's looking at the pictures because because everybody's uploading pictures all the time. So everyone's busy uploading. Nobody's looking at the pictures. And since all the pictures are cats and babies who pew anyway, it's not like they're interesting. You know, talent is rare. Users, there are many users of all the social media, but talent is incredibly rare. And the question is then, if you do have a talent, do you talk about yourself all the time? No, you don't. And that's what's interesting about the internet. What the internet is exposing is the return to the original tribe, which is what we're socio-biologically programmed to be attached to. And the original tribe was all about collaboration, the beauty of collaboration. That's why I wrote the book about Burning Man. I mean, Burning Man is just the beginning of participatory culture, but it's set to explode over the next 100 years, and we're going to use the new technologies, the internet, precisely to connect with other people. At this early stage... The winners are the people who build platforms for other people to act on. Just like the first winners of the permanent settlements were the farmers. The people who realized that we can start taming animals and taming plants and mass produce food and get rich doing it. So the landowners were the first class of that kind of society. Then came the priest and then eventually came the imaginary power, which is the king in that case. And we're going to see the same triad develop over time with the internet society. What we see right now is platform builders. They're called Google. They're called Amazon. They're called Apple. They're the most powerful companies ever invented. They've grown faster than any corporations we've ever seen. They're more powerful they, they have more assets than any company, and they haven't built any of this aspiring to be profitable. Google's strategy is simply being that we're going to control the internet and guide people through chaos. Because order in chaos is always the most valuable thing you could possibly do, meaning Google search. That's the first primitive form of guiding people through chaos. And, and this is the site I'm interested in. It's called the Network Dynamical Society. I can, I can study quantum physics. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Six and see the world through these glasses. I can look at people's behavior and see the world through these classes. And what you discover is a world that we call relationalist. It's not individualist at all. People are not isolated islands in constant competition with each other. They actually try to create swarms. And we create these swarms of people, which Biohacker Summit is in itself. When we create swarms of people, we love being part of that swarm. Okay, because the thing with Newton and calculus yeah. is that, sure, he's incorrect, but it does work. And yeah. the same with the individual on a political human level. And tribalism, we've tried. It had some very negative side effects. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're moving into tribalism again, aren't we going to see a resurgence of those side effects that were against everybody? Yeah, that's the new fifth book. It's about the horrors of the century. It's, not, it's going to be nasty. Oh, it's I thought be you were an optimist. You know, America, is, America is going towards civil war. It really is. You know, look at America today. Yeah, really? you live there, Chris. Poor you. I'd live in Canada and go to Mexico in the winters and back to Canada. Okay, okay, great, 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 Chris. You get out of there, you know. Because the thing is, if you look at America right now, Donald Trump won the election. My first reaction was, that, well, thank God he won now because something even worse would have won four years from now. But then when the guys in Michigan who voted for him discover he's not building any factories for them, uh, they're going to make Oklahoma bombs. You know, the threat in America is not from Arabs or Muslims or Mexicans or whatever. It's from the inside. America is full of millions and millions of especially young men who are totally left outside. What the Internet society is creating is a new type of class society. Um, and this is how it looks for now, right now. We still have a mostly male-dominated upper class. Women are moving ahead in communications, but men are still controlling technology. So if you want to have a career today, you work in either technology or communications, right? Women are great at project leadership, the greater communication. They have four times as many Facebook friends as average as men do. Women love to talk. Great. That's an asset. Put women in front of everything right now. You know, when you move companies to the cloud, you're going to have female bosses of the companies too. Because you're going to fire the chief technology officer and the chief information officer. And the chief digital communications officer is going to take over the company. She's a woman. She's 30 years old. And she can't wait to get the old guys out of the company by moving everything to the cloud. So we're going to have powerful women, but also a lot of powerful men. 90% of the world's tech startups are run by men. So they're going to be incredibly powerful too. That's the dominant new upper class, the netocracy. Then we have a huge female-dominated middle class. Women are doing okay. 
They get educated, they get a job, they have the little life puzzle, whatever, they have the crisis, they're burnt out when they're 35, they get through that, they're doing okay. And they always had meaning and purpose in their lives anyway. Just give, it, give birth to a child that as a woman you have a purpose. Men don't. Men have to invent their purpose. That's the, that's the tragedy of being a man. But then we have a new underclass, totally male-dominated. And the internet has fostered it. And the new male-dominated underclass are guys who are 30 years old, they're getting fat, they don't have self-confidence enough to go to the gym. They live with their moms. No women want to marry them. They can't date on Tinder because they're going ugly. And their internet consumption eight hours a day consists of loads of porn. Loads of porn. And uh, gaming, where they lose whatever pennies they have. Because they're stupid and gaming companies have no respect for them. They just take whatever money they can have. And the third part is hate clubs. I mean, if, you, if you're this guy, you're 30 years old, how do you get a fucking like on Facebook? You go to a hate club, and you love, love Donald Trump, you love the Sweden Democrats, you love the Islamists if you live in Syria. You love any of these sort of agitative, aggressive, resentful new movements that, that, that really like young, angry men who are left outside. The factory has been closed. Military service has been closed. Wherever you used to put these guys to get rid of them, so they were led by an older man and did whatever he told them to do. You know, these are guys who are ready to take an order from anybody. It's just like they get an order. If they don't get an order, they're totally fucked up. And they cannot give birth to children. They're useless. So this is the first class in history where we really can say we have no use for them at all. Colonizing Siberia? Put them there, <laughs> whatever, you know, see if they can survive. And then if they die, that's okay. But we're going to have a huge new class where the robots and all these other machines are making them redundant. Now, if you're a man and you're full of testosterone, you're 29 years old, you have lots, of, and you feel redundancy, you get better, and you're going to do everything you possibly can to be revengeful against everybody else. These guys are going to come after every one of us in this room, and they're going to blow bombs. And they're going to kill themselves and kill us in the process. What, what, it, what an Arab in Syria is capable of is nothing compared to what a 29-year-old leftover on the internet in America is capable of. So that's the nasty picture. That's the new book. No, we have no control of the future. There's nothing that says the future is going to be in any way peaceful or harmonious, rather the other way around. Class divisions are going stronger, both the old ones which were about wealth and and, and, you know, income, and the new ones that are about your attention and your online presence. Your, your, your sociogram essentially sets your class orientation. So if you take Facebook's sociogram and put it on you and ex- you know exactly which friends you have and which friends your friends have, etc., you know exactly how powerful and influential you are, you also know how much you're going to get laid in this society. Because that is essentially what social status is today. It's a sociogram on Facebook. And we, we, I don't see any politicians talking about this new underclass. They vote for Trump for sure. But they're willing to leave Trump for something even worse if they can. And they will if Trump doesn't give them what they want, which is as a fucking job or something else that an individualist is supposed to get. A purpose, in short. A purpose, yeah. That's where the tribe comes in. And, and uh, the reason we return to the tribe is not, it's not a model I'm, I'm, uh, I'm defending. I'm just saying that all other changes that have happened to humanity over the past 5,000 years have happened so rapidly they have not affected our genes at all. We're still born into the same tribal identity looking for the same archetypes that we hope to fit into that we lived with 5,000 years ago. And, and, and for a man at least, for a woman, you, women can find purposes if they like, but they can also just go into childbearing or child raising together with other women and they have purpose instantly. That's why women are pretty cool. 
when dramatic changes are going on, whereas men are looking for, what, what is my purpose now? And, and, and my recommendation is to, to sit down and study the original tribe, read Jung, read Peterson, read all these guys, and try to find out what kind of archetype would you be? How would you as a man contribute to the overall tribe? And what would be the contemporary equivalent of that? And if you can't find one, you're in a really bad place. Yeah, and I uh, came to a similar conclusion when I was fairly young after that acid <laughs> trip. Uh, no, I'm, ser- I'm serious, that, uh, because what you realize after a while is that uh, most humans have no chance whatsoever of perfecting themselves. We are biologically wired, flawed people. And I'm guessing that's why you're all here, because you're looking for machinery to get rid of some of the, you know, uh, well... We're beta versions, basically. Uh, so uh, I think he's got a question over there. And, and that's, that's why I wanted to find, well, either an apple of knowledge or some other apple, and that's what I was looking for in the drugs, basically something to help me transcend this uh, biological prison, basically, that my body is, in my view. But the problem with the drugs is that they're not shortcut to knowledge. Definitely not. But I know that now, but I didn't artists. know that when I was 16. So you need to first read books, you need to study, you need to get educated, learn history more than anything. And once you learn all these things, then you can take the drugs and suddenly your brain disassociates and you start inventing things and you become creative. And that's exactly why artists love drugs, but you're supposed to know something first and have some yes. material in your brain that your drugs can play around with. If you don't have that, you become a drug addict instantly, right? I, I think that is quite true. I've tried... Uh, microdosing uh, different stuff for years now. And uh, as a friend of mine who's a doctor in molecular biology says, uh, well, it's Aaron, I, I applaud you for your courage, but it's kind of like throwing a monkey wrench into a supercomputer and just see what happens. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, well, so far, I'm doing okay, I guess. <laughs> human dimension of these things because yeah. these observations are I was brilliant. just going to go there. I know you were. Yeah. So, okay. here you go. Just just to make sure. Yes. Uh, post-human, yeah. I, I think we're a bit ironic there. I, I would prefer to actually extend post-human to post-humanist. Meaning, uh, for the foreseeable future, we don't have any machines that are going to kill us. We're still pretty good at killing each other if we want to. We, want, we might want to kill this 29-year-old redundant guy. Some of the women might convince the other guys that they should do it. I don't know. It's called a Nazism. It's not a nice idea, but it might happen. We don't know yet. We don't know how to solve that problem. But um, as far as humanism is concerned, humanism is another word for individualism to me. It's, it's the same ideology, and it starts with Descartes in 1637. And in a way, the old paradigm is always at its greatest right before it collapses. If you look at the permanent settlement and village life and the aristocracy and the kings and the priests, they were at their most powerful in 1449, right before the printing press arrived. There's no, there's no period where you can get used to a new paradigm where it sort of comes into the picture and you can slowly, gradually move towards it. And the same thing is happening today as well. The internet has been around since the late 1980s, but the vast majority of people on the planet, including tech people, interpret the internet as just another media technology to be added to newspapers, books, radio, and television, when in reality it's completely differently structured. So if you take the metaphor we've lived with, individualism, when does individualism really explode? Well, 
there's always a chaos before the new ideology explodes. And the chaos that we're at right now, the internet is a chaos right now. The vast majority of people are using the internet in the, in the, definitely in the wrong way and think that their pseudo behavior is somehow a sign of them using it the right way. Meaning, for example, that most people just scream online, constantly scream and hope somebody's going to hear them. Which is, of course, not a very intelligent way to behave at a dinner party. You know? And the internet is a dinner party. So, so the reason why it's chaos right now is because we're at that stage. We haven't really tamed it and understood it and really interpreted what does it mean to live in a world that is so similar to quantum physics that we could even take the, the, the metaphors of quantum physics and put them in the social arena and think of ourselves exactly behaving the same way that quantum physics behaves. Because that, to me, is a great way of looking at metaphors. So what happened was that modern society kick-started with Paris in 1789. We call it the French Revolution, but it wasn't really a revolution. The real revolution happened in 1450. Paris just happened to be the city in the 1780s that was the capital of the world. It was the San Francisco at the time. People of the rest of the world admired whatever happened in Paris. And Paris just happened to be the biggest city in Europe and also the first city in the world where the majority of people could read, write, and count. Because books had become so cheap. And people had invented daily books called newspapers and put them in street corners. And somebody invented a book which contained all the knowledge of the world from A to Z. And that book was called the Encyclopédie. Okay? So all these inventions existed in Paris in 1789. So imagine you're sitting in Paris in 1789 and you're reading all these books and you have all this knowledge that nobody's ever had before in human history. This is really new. Okay? And you're told that out in Versailles... They got 10,000 decadent stupid faggots, whatever, you know. I use faggot here in a really nice way, right? Because they had wigs and things. They were wonderful. I'd love them. But they were stupid, and there were 10,000 of them, and none of them worked. They used your resources in the city and milked you for taxes to just have a big party that was going on out there. Now, if you sat there and had all this knowledge, you'd probably go out there and kill them with the guillotine, wouldn't you, right? You would. You'd be upset. You'd be terribly upset. That is a class shift that's only – that makes sense because the guys in Versailles were warned, but they wouldn't listen. Marie Antoinette had no idea that she was the Lindsay Lohan of the time and she was front page news in the tabloids in Paris every day. And they essentially wrote that she's young, she's a girl, and she's beautiful, and you hate all those things, right? You hate young, beautiful girls. You're envious with them. And she was also a foreigner and she ate cakes for breakfast and not baguettes. You kill her, right? So you got and killed her. I mean, she was killed in the guillotine. She had no idea what a tabloid was. And this is the perfect example of paradigm shift. The old structure doesn't even know the new is going on. Then after that comes Napoleon. And the reason why Hegel and Nietzsche and all these 19th century philosophers love Napoleon is that he was the ultimate individual. He was the ultimate individual. He organized an army where his soldiers could read and write. And he blew up absolutely everything and conquered the world. And he proved that if somebody can read and write, they're going to be 100 times more productive than if they can't. You see the parallel to the times today? We're in the chaos, so who's going to be the Napoleon? No, it's not going to be an individual. Which network out there, which swarm out there is going to understand like Napoleon that the fact that everybody's interactive all the time and interactive with technologies, meaning that we have 7 billion people on the planet totally interacting with each other with hundreds of billions of technologies right now, that's going to be so incredibly intelligent, that system, that if you can just tame that system and use it to the advancement of a certain swarm, that swarm is going to take over the world. History is going to repeat itself exactly the same way. We can learn this from Napoleon. And that's why philosophers are so thrilled with Napoleon. And why philosophers like me today should be thrilled with where is the swarm? 
When is it going to occur? This worm is going to be so fucking intelligent, it's going to take over the world. And because it takes over the world, it could potentially take care of the rubbish at the bottom of the human heap, which is the new underclass. And after Napoleon, we constructed every institution we, we know as society. Factories, corporations, nation-state bureaucracies, even prisons, police forces, schools, hospitals, they're full of Napoleons. Dr. Napoleon, right? An authority figure who has the monopoly on truth within that structure. And we're told to learn how to read and write so we follow orders. And what the internet has done is that it's made the cannon fodder of Napoleon's army talk directly to each other. And once the cannon fodder and army start talking directly to each other and can do that without interruption, which is what the internet provides us with, sooner or later, they're going to skip Napoleon. And every fucking app today is an idea of how we kill Napoleon. How to get rid of the old authorities? And how do we develop intelligent swarms of people who behave together? And because they behave together, they can also recognize each other together. And they are like, with a blockchain around the door, we can find new ways of finding truths and become friends with thousands of strangers in a way we've never done before in history. And I just want to encourage you guys to be involved with this. Instead of working on your own, seeing yourself as an isolated individual, find your swarm. Make that swarm more and more intelligent. Enjoy being inside of it. And if you're one of the founders of that swarm, you're going to be recognized within the swarm. You're pretty safe there. And within that swarm, you can use intelligence to your advantage. And you'd be safe. That's kind of interesting, considering that all these uh, young men that are sitting in their mother's basements in front of their computers have access to more information probably than uh, some of our leaders. So, no it, so it sort of mirrors the Marie Antoinette... Uh, Paris paradigm shift. Yeah, no? I, I, and I can reveal the, the title of the last chapter of the synopsis of the next book. It's called The Netocratic Swarm versus the Consumptarian Mob. Because, of course, these angry young guys out there, the 29-year-olds are left behind who don't even go to the gym, they don't have self-confidence, they're still online eight hours a day. They find each other, and they find each other in hate clubs. And there's a word for hate clubs historically. It's called mobs. And mobs are incredibly destructive. Islamic State is a mob. Angry, resentful people with no vision for the future. If you're really clever today, you should go to Raqqa in Syria and smuggle yourself inside an Islamic State compound and check what everyday life is like. It's boring as fuck. It's just boring. Because everything was about you hating somebody or something. And you find other haters... And the haters got unified, and then they went online and found out how to make bombs and blow these bombs up. And then they found out that, well, I'm fat and I'm ugly, but if I make a YouTube movie and slowly chop off the head of somebody who I hate, I get laid. Because this turns on girls who are masochistic, you know. The world is full of perverted girls who love these men. And that becomes Islamic State. And then finally when their vision is realized, the utopia is there, and you go to Raqqa, Syria, and you go inside. No music is allowed, no entertainment is allowed, everybody's supposed to, you know, the girls are covered in their burqas all day long, you don't even get to see them. It's just boring as fuck. It's hell, it's, it's really eternal life. That's what eternal life is like, you know. Heaven is supposed to be like that. And, and that exposes what a mob is, because to me, a swarm creates a utopia, but the mob creates hell. And so to me, it's now the swarm versus the mob. That's the new map I see ahead of me. All right. That's post-humanism. We call it swarmism. <laughs> Just in the end of the word. Yeah. I'd love to comment on, on, with the observation that you speak of uh, individualism being so powerful, but ultimately the whole idea with 
augmenting ourselves with technology is, of course, to, to create this internet hive mind. Yes, exactly. So this is what we are aiming you, You're so close to it. I'm just basically cleansing away the idea of individualism from your head so you get rid of it. And, and a good way of looking at yourself then, because you're, not, you're, not, uh, you're now a, a, a component within a swarm, is to look at it as a individual. Brilliant word, invented by the French philosopher Gilles Deleuze, 1982. Individual, I'm individual. That means I'm lots of different people in one body, and these different people can connect with different people, who connect with different people, who connect with different people, in all kinds of fascinating various ways. And if you look at yourself that way, you become a perfect entity to be a member of a swarm. We're going to round off in a couple of minutes, but let's shoot a couple of questions from the audience. I saw a gentleman waving right there. Just shout out. Just shout uh, do, you, do you see any examples of any swarms today? Other swarms, perhaps? Yeah, uh, the first swarms would probably fail. Okay, so they'd be around, they wouldn't know what they're doing, but they just have, the Pirate Party was an example of that. And actually, I took the term swarm from Nick Falkwinge. He does have some kind of a philosophical genius. He's just not very good at organizing things. He's a bit autistic for that. But he did get laid because he joined, started the Pirate Party. But, but I, I, think, I think you should always historically learn from history. Some people are out there without knowing it, doing the right thing, but just too early. And you know this from the, the history of technology as well. So I would look for swarms that are already occurring. And of course, it was when I came from Burning Man five years ago and decided to use Burning Man as an example of something that works, which is a copy of the internet in the physical world. It's the first example of a mass copy of how you construct the internet, but put it in the physical space, which now, of course, is augmented reality, which is going to explode. We're going to try to bring the digital into the physical world instead of doing the other way around. That's called augmented reality. If you want to be an experienced designer, you've got a career ahead of you. It's going to explode the next 10 years. Brilliant. Let's take a question from Chris. You were waving before. Yeah. Um, thank you, Alexander. I love you too, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I've been watching since I read all of your books forever um, is this the increase in three great collapses that I've seen. So ownership, there's no need to own anything anymore. You can s subscribe to everything. Um, uh, identity, I mean, you are what app you're logged into at any given time. Uh, I mean, to your swarm methodology. Um, and then narrative. You know, I just had a whole talk earlier on, like, how to hack time. Um, but I think the thing that's really driving this that scares me personally in the swarm mentality is we've made people addicted to convenience. Yeah. And they'll do anything to aid uh, spending less time to do something, including, you know, you know, kill their digital identity. So I do believe the swarm's happening. My, my fear is the algorithms that are programming the swarm are geared toward, you know, individual habits, even though the swarm is geared toward the swarm. So, I mean, I think you're going to soon be able to download a biological behavior habit into a swarm and just have them kill each other just out of sheer lack of convenience. I mean, they just won't no. do things that make sense. Does okay. that make sense? This is exactly what is helpful to d diversify between the, ma the mob and the swarm. They're different things, okay? Uh, the new book is very Freudian we're working on right now. And I want to look at what I think is the general problem of society today and see the infantilization of society. And this is where the United States of America and Sweden are two interesting examples. The United States of America has become infantilized because it's become a complete consumer society. It's full of big babies, you know, they eat hamburgers and they get fat and they're ugly and they're stupid and they think that uh, Donald Trump should build a factory for them. They can't even work in a fucking factory because it's so slow in their heads and they're so fat. They can't even go to work. A robot beats them easily. They're the new mob, right? So the infantilization of society, and in Sweden it's the nanny state. I was all for socialism, but the problem over the long run, if you live in a socialist society with high taxation 
and a lot of individualism, which is basically you pay the government through hard work and paying lots of taxes so they take care of your grandmom so you can still work on yourself, right? But the problem with that kind of society, the nanny state, is that it's now a, a society full of children. And the children are exposed in two different movements. One is the extreme right, which is like, where is the Messiah who's going to come and save us because we're little children and we want to work in factories still? And the other one is the identity left. And the identity left is incredibly tragic because the identity left says that you're going you're gonna to use the words about me that I tell you to use. Well, that's a fundamental mistake. I'm allowed to use any word I like, including about you. I can call you anything I like, whatever gender I want. That's my tongue. That's my liberty. And the fact that you're so imbecile and so childish to do that is because you haven't grown up. And that is to do with something called phallus, okay? Uh, there's the mamilla, you know, the tit, and there's the phallus. The phallus, um, okay, Men are supposed to have phalluses. Women are supposed to be phalluses. So phallus is actually gender neutral. But the phallus is the idea that you tempt little children that there's an outside world out there which is hard and tough, but so much more fascinating than the childish fantasy world of getting breast- breastfed all the time. In a sense, we created a society with millions of people who are grown-ups and being breastfed all the time. But this is what worries me about the death of the individual and your individual or Deleuze individual, that... Uh, the reason individualism worked was because it uh, imparts personal responsibility on the person, on the individual. Well, we and remo- someone has we to take that. We remove that. Precisely, we have removed that. So how do you get that back? That's in? what individualism did. That's where it ended up. The death of individualism was built into that idea from the very beginning, like the death of God once was. And the death of the individual was the fact. But how does a swarm take responsibility? Well, if you don't want to be in the mob, but you want to be in the swarm, I think most people in here want to be in the capacity to be swarm people rather than mob people. Okay, then you become digitally savvy, socially savvy, socially intelligent, you build a network of people around the world, and you enjoy meeting strangers. And blockchain is going to help you to meet strangers and get fascinated with them, get laid by them or whatever. And the more of a network Chris and I do, we're ambassadors of whatever we are, where we go in the world, and we have friends everywhere. So we're netocrats. So you make yourself available to people constantly around the world and you become part of that network. Then you're an individual. This is a strong human character we're talking about, not a weak one. In in a way, the individual is much stronger than the individual, but he's not self-obsessed. And the self-obsession today ended up in the identity left and in the extreme right. And these are both losers in the society. They're both losers. Thank you for this powerful ending. Guys, an applause for Aaron. Thank you for listening to Deconstructive Criticism. Please support us on Patreon, which I'm also kind of worried about since the closing down of Lauren Southern's account there, which seems wrong to me. And if you're as paranoid as I am, and on top of that, have a Swedish phone, you can swish me at 0768-943737. 0768-943737. So please, are on flam on Patreon, because, uh, uh, you know, deconstructive criticism was apparently too hard to spell in Swedish. So just my name, Aron with one A, and flam with one M. So Aron Flam uh, at Patreon or swish. Until next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.